Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Here with us is Michael Lighty, Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Michael, welcome, and thanks so much for being with us on Nurse Talk today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. So, Michael, last week we spoke to RN Deborah Berger about results from a survey in and use conducting among fellow nurses nationwide. That survey revealed that 80% of nurses say their hospital has not provided policy for admission of potentially infected patients. Is that and, and that basically hospitals were not prepared for a fight against Ebola. Can you update us on those survey findings? Certainly. The uh, number of RNs that's responded is up to 1,900 and that's in 46 states, literally at hundreds of hospitals. And the findings continue to show uh, with nearly 80% saying their hospital has not communicated to them any policy regarding uh, potential admission of patients infected by Ebola. And 85% say their hospital hasn't provided education on Ebola. And uh, over a third say that they don't have sufficient current supplies of eye protection. And we know, for example, in, in even a local hospital here, they provided the wrong kind of protection uh, when they did provide it. And 39% say the hospital does not have plans to equip isolation rooms with the standard plastic-covered mattresses and pillows. So it's quite, uh, quite remarkable that uh, the registered nurses in hospitals all over the country are not getting the preparation, equipment, and communication they need to address this potential pandemic. That's quite fascinating. So has the CDC stepped up, and, and if so, how, Michael? Well, the CDC has stepped up in the sense that they call this uh, the Ebola crisis. They are communicating uh, their guidelines, and they are making themselves available and encouraging hospitals to take uh, precautionary measures. The problem is the CDC has no real authority. They can only issue guidelines. The sources of information that hospitals go to are of their choosing. It's a voluntary system. And the CDC has very little actual power to enforce mandates to demand levels of protection. And ultimately, it's up to the hospitals as to what they choose to do or not do. And, and what part does the U.S. Surgeon General play in this? Is, are they involved at all? The Surgeon General is a bully pulpit uh, ultimately as well. They have probably even less authority than the CDC. And, uh, you know, what's remarkable is the CDC has even acknowledged that uh, they let their guard down a bit when it came to uh, Mr. Duncan's uh, presentation at the, at the Dallas Hospital. So the Surgeon General can talk uh, and urge certain procedures and protocols. But again, that's, that's uh, a bully pulpit, not an actual uh, power, uh, empowered position. So what do you think it's going to take, Michael, for hospitals to comply with the regulations and for once they get compliance uh, or once they agree on them, how does it get down to the boots on the ground? I think it's going to take registered nurses demanding that the hospitals respond. I think it's going to take public health authorities issuing mandates for hospitals to prepare with specific protocols and procedures in place. I think that uh, we know that, that the precautionary principle here, which holds we should not wait for scientific certainty in high-risk situations, we should take those precautions that are uh, indicated 
that are going to be most effective, that principle needs to be mandated and applied, and that there needs to be greater integration between the CDC at the federal level, state public health authorities, and the local public health officers who are really on the ground and going to be on the front lines of this. In the hospitals themselves, we've got to take away their ability to pick and choose what they're going to do. Yeah, and actually, I have just kind of anecdotally, I teach at a local university, and one of my students this week asked me, well, what do I do if I'm at the hospital and I get someone that I think has this disease and I don't have the equipment that I need, what do I do next? And so I had my answer for a nursing student there, which is basically defer, (laughs) but what should an RN do in that circumstance? Well, the most important thing she should do is not put... Uh, the patient at risk, herself at risk, or potentially other patients at risk. And so you cannot go into a potential uh, Ebola patient and, and without adequate equipment, period. And so we have to work, obviously, in a, in a CNA hospital or a unionized hospital. You have union mechanisms that can do that. If you need an advocate, get one and in, insist from the nurse manager or uh, higher-ups, if need be, that they provide the equipment and you simply cannot treat the patient without it. And I think that there is um, sometimes a reluctance to do that, but the uh, reality is there's been some very good pieces uh, circulated about registered nurses uh, confronting Ebola patients, and that's the universal conclusion is you have to be adequately protected and insist on your right to be so. Even if there is um, pushback, it really is up to the uh, frontline registered nurses to establish that precautionary principle. Yeah, and let's be honest, the bottom line here is profit, not stopping Ebola for a lot of these organizations. Do you think that this would be different if we had some sort of national health care for this country? No question it would be, yeah, because you're basically talking about hospitals making budgetary-based decisions on, on what's going to maximize the revenue and, and profit or net income, even if they're nonprofit. So absolutely, you're right. If we had a national health care system and we had adequately funded public health programs, our public health budget on the federal level is a billion dollars less in fiscal year 2013 than it was in fiscal year 2002. So we've reduced funding for public health preparedness. We had an inspector general report from the Department of Homeland Security issued in August uh, just two months ago that said that they could not be assured that the preparations that DHS, that Homeland Security had made, were going to be adequate. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, it was uh, that kind of finding then that uh, absent a, a, a national health care system is very difficult then to rectify. But the reality is if we had such a national health care system that adequately funded public health that could ensure compliance at all levels of care within the system, we would be able to provide sufficient per- personal protective equipment, antiviral medical countermeasures for the pandemic response. Right now, Homeland Security hasn't done that adequately, and it goes directly to the lack of a national health care system. You're, it's so right. Um, so the one thing I wanted to highlight in what you said there is about the public health system, because I you know, listen to the news pretty regularly, and I hear them touting that the U.S. public health system is, is ready for this um, endemic or possible pandemic. And, you know, I don't see it being true because I've worked in Northern California and San Francisco and saw the decimation of the public health nurses in that city. Is that true straight across? You, you mentioned a $1 billion cut in public health. 
Absolutely, it's true. What happened during the Great Recession when counties who have who you know are responsible for those public health nurses had to cut their budgets? They didn't fill positions; they cut positions. That happened in in counties all over the country. At the federal level, we had that that shortfall. So it is a sign that we don't prioritize public health spending or resources unless. And then usually it's too late when an, an, an epidemic appears. So it is a uh, systematic underfunding of those resources on top of a lack of a national health care system. And it's true that there were some new monies available under the Affordable Care Act, but those have not made up for the, for the longer-term shortfall. And it's a very easy place for counties to cut budgets, particularly because they serve low-income people. Absolutely. So, Michael, we really appreciate your critical work at NNU. Just quickly, where can uh, nurses go to learn more about this information? Well, definitely um, nationalnursesunited.org. Also, uh, the registered nurse response network.org. That's rnrn.org. Uh, con- we're continuing to um, uh, update information. If they haven't participated in the survey, they can go to those sites and do so. That's very important. Uh, to keep us updated on what's going on in everyone's uh, facilities and continue to agitate for national health care. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. We've been talking with the Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United, Michael Leidy. For more information about this issue, visit nnu.org. Mm-hmm.